The reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19 through 22. It is found in your Pew Bible on page 161. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Here ends the reading. Uh, today we're going to be finishing up our study on, on revival. And uh, the, the past messages have been titled Discerning True Revival. And that's been the last three weeks. <laughs> and today we are going to be finishing up on responding to Asbury. So how do we respond to what has happened in Asbury. Would you please pray with me as we, as we come to the word and ask for God's help in answering that question. Father, we thank you for uh, the preciousness of Christ. We thank you for the glory of your name that has been displayed and upheld through the life and death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the day, Father, when he will come with your glory and with his holy angels to judge the world in righteousness and to gather your people for eternal salvation. Father, that's our great hope. That's what we look forward to. That's the hope that you have birthed into our hearts. Lord, that's what brought us to Christ and what made us Christians, this hope of forgiveness and cleansing of sin and eternal life with God, our creator, and fellowship with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that those believers in this room who know the reality of that hope, that you would encourage their hearts this morning with your truth, that you would help them understand how you want them to live in light of that glorious gospel. And Lord, those who do not know you here this morning, I pray that your spirit would awaken them to the truth. God, that you would arouse them out of their deadness and sin and that you would cause them to be made alive together with Christ Jesus. That they would know for the first time what it means to know God and to be known by God. Or would you give that grace this morning? I pray that you would arouse us out of our lethargy and slothfulness, Lord. I pray that you would stir our hearts and minds, that you would not let this be rote or just some kind of tradition that we do. We gather here on Sundays because that's what we've always done. God, spare us from our own depravity. Spare us from our tendency or to wander from you. Spare us from uh, the, the constant... Um, unceasing temptation to let our hearts grow cold towards you. Lord, you command us to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, all of our strength, Lord, to give all that we are in holy devotion to you. Lord, it's so easy to grow negligent in, in our obedience to that great command. Even as those who have your spirit, even as those who hold fast to Christ, Lord, how often are we truly living with fullness of heart before you? Lord, you must break through, you must break through today or nothing will happen. 
So please remove all affectation. Please remove all facade. Remove all hypocrisy. And lay us bare before you with your holy word, Lord. Would you divide to, to spirit and soul and bone and marrow. Would you lay us open before you, Lord, and allow us to deal honestly with you together this morning. Give us grace to come before you truly in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray you'd be with us. Lord Jesus, be magnified among us and through us. To your glory, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we are finishing our discussion of revival for now. Uh, maybe in the future we'll return to a, a longer series on revival, if that's needed. But last week, let me give a, a brief summary. Last week we, we ended our th uh, third message on discerning true, true revival and um, trying to present certain considerations that we all need to keep in mind um, as we seek to discern the presence of a genuine, surprising work of the Spirit of God. That's, that's what revival is. Revival is a genuine and surprising work of the Spirit of God. How do we go about determining whether something that claims to be a revival is genuine? That's what we've been looking at the last three weeks. And uh, we, we began by uh, considering the fact that Church history is nothing less than a history of revival. It is one revival after another after another that the Lord brings about in the lives of his people to sanctify them and to purify them and let them know the power of the gospel in greater measure and then minister out of that power in the world around them. Church history is filled with, God's, uh, with movements of God like that. And so when we approach something like revival in order to determine whether something that claims to be revival is genuine or not, we have to come with the recognition that God has done wondrous works like this in the past, so we don't want to discredit it right from the beginning. And then secondly, we wanted to make sure that we understood what revival is. If we're going to discern what revival is, we need to have a definition of what revival is. And we've basically, in, in general, defined revival as, as a surprising work of God that brings spiritual awakening and renewal to the church. We'll start with that basic understanding of revival. It's spiritual awakening that God surprisingly brings upon the life of his church. And then, um, as we ended last week, revival will always be marked by certain characteristics, certain fruits. So whenever we're discerning whether or not a, uh, something that claims to be a revival is true, we want to look for these certain markers to see, is this a revival? Does it have this uh, arresting awareness of the presence of God accompanying it? Does it have this penetrating awareness of and grief over sin, right? Is there greater repentance taking place, deeper repentance happening? Uh, is, is Christ being seen and heralded as, as more precious uh, than, than he was before? Are people's hearts being gripped with the preciousness of Christ? Is the power of God's word uh, seeming to be unleashed during this time of revival where hearts and minds are being rattled and gripped by the word of God, where the word of God is continuing to grow and to prevail? It's, it's, it's conquering sinners, 
and taking them captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, are the people of God being left in the wake of revival? Are they being left with a holy yearning and longing after greater holiness? If true revival comes, holiness will increase in the lives of God's people, and they will yearn and long for it. As we mentioned last week, others could be added to that list, other characteristics, other fruit, like greater love for God, greater love for neighbor, lasting and real change, both in the church and in society, its impact on the whole society, uh, and then increased suffering and persecution. All of these things can be characteristics of true and genuine revival. But what I wanted to point out is that these five characteristics will definitely be a part of a work of God when he brings about a work of revival. Now, when we compare those markers of revival to what is being called the Asbury revival, what are we to, what are we to say of it? What are we to make of this Asbury revival, as it is called? Well, if we're being honest, we have to say that Asbury is at least a mixed bag, right? There are good things about it. There are bad things about it. Uh, even, we might even question whether or not it should be called a revival. Uh, maybe we should wait and give it time to see if revival truly comes from this move, uh, from anything good that has happened there. I think there are some signs of spiritual awakening that would appear to be in line with what God's word would lead us to expect in times of revival. There was uh, a, a greater realization of sin. There was a greater uh, burden to pray. There was a greater uh, uh, effort to confess sin and worship God with a full heart and song. Uh, there was a focus on Christ and the love of God in Christ. Are, are, are those things not good things that we would expect the Spirit of God to bring about in the hearts of people in times of revival? Yes, they are. However, there are other things that were mixed in with what's called the Asbury Revival that, make, make us, uh, that give us pause and make us wonder whether or not everything in Asbury was truly a work of God. In fact, I just learned of something this past week that I didn't know about before, and I could not confirm it. So I'm, I'm hesitant to, to say that this was absolutely what was going on, but I, I did hear a report that there were homosexuals involved in leading worship at Asbury. Um, if that is the case, then you and I can definitively declare over Asbury that is not a genuine work of God in its totality. Because a move of the Spirit of God will bring what? It will bring conviction of sin. Right? And so I could not confirm that. I don't want to say that that is definitively what was happening. Um, but I've heard reports. Now with all that said... Today, what I want us to think about is how we should respond to Asbury. I believe that there is something far more important for us to take away from Asbury than trying to figure out what aspects of it might be genuine or not genuine. Does that make sense? Like, I think that there's something far more important for us to take away from what's being called the Asbury revival than simply a conclusion on whether or not it was true or false, right? And I believe what that is, is the simple reminder that Asbury has given us that you and I as God's people, as Christ's sheep, are called by God to seek him for revival. Just follow me here. If, if revival is a greater awareness and realization of the nearness of God with his people, 
If revival is uh, leading to sin being more deeply recognized and dealt with in the lives of God's people, if revival brings about a greater, uh, um, a greater sense of the preciousness and the glory of Christ, if revival does mean the word of God growing and prevailing among a people, if revival is marked by greater longing and yearnings after holiness, then how could we not say that we ought to be pursuing revival? How could we say, no, we shouldn't pursue revival? No, revival's not what God does anymore. Are you kidding me? You're telling me that you're satisfied with your perception of the nearness of God in your life? Are you satisfied with the depth of repentance of sin that's going on in your own heart? Have you been taken captive by Christ in such a way that you say, I've now arrived? The Apostle Paul didn't say that, did he? I count everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I do not count myself as perfect or as having already reached that goal. But this one thing I do, laying aside what is behind, I press forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are, are you satisfied with your pursuit of Christ? Or do you need revival? Are you satisfied with your longings after holiness? Are they adequate to match the holiness of the God who made you and calls you to fellowship with himself in Jesus Christ? If that's what revival is, then I'm tempted to say that we are in sin if we are not seeking revival. So in light of that, there are two things I want to look at today. Number one, I want to look at the call of God to seek revival. The call of God to seek revival. And then secondly, I want to look at how God calls us to seek revival. So I want to look at the call to seek revival first and foremost and just solidify in our minds the reality that God does expect us to seek after revival. And then I want to end on how does God expect us to go about doing that? Are we talking about tent revivals? Are we talking about fiery evangelists? Are we talking about Bible beaters and, and pounding the street with obnoxiousness? No, not, not that. Right? That's not, we're not talking about Billy Graham crusades. What are we talking about when we're talking about seeking true revival? That's what I want to end on. All right, so as I just said, I, I think the most important truth we can take away from our time considering Asbury is not the conclusion we come to regarding its legitimacy. It's not the most important thing. The most important truth we should take to heart from all of this is that we as God's people are called to seek revival. Now, I find that in the scriptures. That is not of my own mind. It's not uh, uh, something that I just devised of my own uh, creativity or my own desires. The scriptures give us a pattern of God's people seeking God for revival. Uh, you've heard people say that revival is not a word that's found in the Bible. <laughs> this, is, this is what's called a, 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 a word, uh, what is it, a word concept fallacy. Right? That like, if the word is not present, that means the reality is not present. Now you, try using that with the Trinity. Well, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, therefore the Trinity must not be biblical. No, that's idiotic. 
right? Because the Bible clearly speaks about the reality and the truth of the Trinity. Well, we find the same reality spoken of in the scriptures with such clarity and such force that translators actually don't know how else to translate this word other than to translate it as revival. So I'm a little excited about that. Uh, but there are, there are basically three levels of seeking revival that we are commanded to do in the scriptures. Number one, we are called to seek personal revival. Personal revival. You see this, for example, in Psalm 119, verses 36 and 37, where the psalmist says, Incline, praying to the Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Revive me in your ways. Isn't that an interesting uh, contradiction that's presented there? Or at least as far as our behavior is concerned. Turn my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Right? There's this... Uh, these are, these are being treated as opposites. And how often are you and I guilty of setting our eyes upon things that are vain? Right? Setting our affections, our desires, our mindset, just gearing all of our attention towards that which is nothing but vanity. The psalmist is realizing that about his own heart and he's crying out to God saying, turn my eyes away from vain things and renew me in your ways. Renew my joy in your ways. Renew my sense of glory in your ways. Renew within me a holy longing and a desire to order my steps according to your will, O oh God. Bring greater godliness to me. That's what he's crying out for. And what is the word the translators used to, to put right there? Revive me in your ways. The psalmist is longing for greater godliness in his personal life. And what does he have to do to, to, to bring that about? Cry out to God for it. In fact, the, the whole of Psalm 119 is a psalm praying for personal revival. And I, I think what's interesting is that uh, within this psalm, we find past experiences of revival in the psalmist giving him hope and longing for future revival from the Lord. So, for example, compare with me uh, Psalm 119, verse 50, uh, uh, and then Psalm 119, verse 107. So Psalm 119, verse 50, it says, This is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. Past tense, right? Something has happened concerning the word of God and the psalmist's life in the past. This is my comfort and my affliction. You have revived me. You have met me in your word. Now look at verse 107. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. That's a present appeal. Right? My comfort and my affliction is that you have revived me in the past. And now in the midst of my affliction, I'm crying out for you, Lord. Revive me right now according to your word. Past experiences of revival lead to future expectations or pleadings for future experiences of revival. So again, are you satisfied in your walk with the Lord? Are you content with where you are? Are you, are you never longing for more of God or more obedience to his ways in your own personal life? Then I'm left wondering whether or not you've truly come to know the Lord. Or whether you've truly come to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
When you taste something that's good and delightful, what, what do you crave afterward? Don't you crave more? Right? You crave more of that delightful joy that you've had in whatever it is, whether it's a movie or food or some kind of experience with some with group of people, anything. Anything that you've had joy and delight in, we as God's creatures seek to have more joy and more delight in that thing. Well, so it is with God. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good and, and, and are not left longing to taste more of his goodness? It's like Joseph Aline, a Puritan, what he said, when, when, when grace comes into the heart of a sinner, it leaves that sinner longing for more. See, true grace doesn't satisfy you completely. It satisfies you with an understanding of where true life and, and, and pleasure can be found. It can be found in God. But then it leaves you craving more of God to seek him more and more. So what we find in the scriptures, first of all, is a command of God, or at least an example of godly people seeking after personal revival. Secondly, we find uh, commands in the scripture or at least uh, examples in the scripture of believers seeking after corporate revival or a revival of the church as a whole. Uh, we've seen that in, uh, in Psalm 85, 6 and 7. Uh, Lord, will you not yourself revive us so that your people might delight in you, rejoice in you? But I think we see that... Uh, we see that very clearly in what Paul is praying for in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Where Paul says, praying to God, he, pray, he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom all, uh, all families in heaven and on earth are, is named, that God would grant you to be strengthened with his power in your inner being by his spirit, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. So that you, being rooted and grounded in love, might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and thus be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Paul's praying for for the church. Now let's look at those elements there. Paul's praying that they would have greater inner spiritual strength. Right? This, this enlivening of heart, that God's people would know the power of God in their own lives. He's praying for that power to be brought into their souls in greater measure by the working of the Holy Spirit. To the end, that they would have a greater corporate unity in love, and that they would have a, a greater corporate communion with Christ. To what end? That they would have a greater understanding of the love of Christ, the breadth and the length and the height and depth, to be filled with, with a knowledge of something that is unknowable in the natural. And then finally, to experience greater, in greater measure the fullness of God among them. Now, if that's not Paul praying for revival, what is he praying for? He's praying for them to have a greater experience of God that leads to a, to a greater captivation by the truth of Christ. A greater experience of power of the Spirit in their souls. If that's not Paul praying that they would know revival, then what is it? Paul's praying that the church would experience a true revival of the Lord. Now, I would ask, isn't that what your own heart longs to see for yourself? And isn't that what you long to see in your fellowship with the church? 
Don't you long to see your brothers and sisters more greatly taken captive by the truth of Christ? Don't you want that for you? Don't you want to know the love of Christ with, with such depth and breadth and length and height? So such, a, such a conviction of the greatness of the love of Christ that you're, never, you're, you're not able to doubt it anymore. You walk in its fullness. You walk in its reality. You, walk, you live in hope and eager anticipation of the day of glory. Not as something you should fear, but as something that you're longing for. That's what Paul's praying for. Now, if that's what the Apostle Paul longed for, and if that's what he's praying for on his knees before God on behalf of the church, then shouldn't you and I be seeking the same on behalf of the church? I think we should. Thirdly, so Christ, scriptures show us an example of seeking individual revival. It shows us examples of seeking corporate revi- revival. And then Christ himself taught us to pray for global revival. Do you know that? That according to Christ's will, we're to pray that revival would sweep across the world? Matthew 6.10, Jesus commands us to pray to our Father who is in heaven that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now let me ask you this question, is that not praying for revival? Thank you. Thank you, brother. I feel like I'm talking to myself sometimes up here. Yeah, appreciate that. Of course it's praying for revival. We're praying, Father, let your name be hallowed in the earth. Let the holiness of your name sweep across the globe. Lord, let your kingdom come on earth. Let your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Is that not praying for revival? Yes, it is. It's like what J.I. Packer said. J.I. Packer defined revival in, in another, I mean, he's defined revival in multiple ways. But in one of the times when he defined revival, he defined it as uh, God extending the reality and presence of his kingdom throughout the whole world. Revival is God extending the reality and presence of his kingdom throughout the whole world. Isn't that what Jesus is telling us to seek after here in our prayers? Let your kingdom come upon the whole earth. We ought to pray for global revival. We ought to pray that there would be a global expansion of Christ's kingdom in all of its fullness and in all of its glory. In as many temporal manifestations as we can think of, we ought to be praying that God would bring revival to the entire world so that there would be revival brought to families. Right? That there would be revival brought to neighborhoods. That they would cast out ungodliness and deal with crime in a way that honors God. We should pray for revival to sweep across countries so that the LGBTQ plus XY whatever movement is not being celebrated. But these people are being addressed with compassion and grace to bring them sanity, right? To bring them back to reality and say, listen... Your body is this gene or that. You are made up of this, these chromosomes or those chromosomes, and you can never change that. God made you that way. And you're never going to have soundness of heart. You're never going to have peace of mind until you come to grips with that. 
Right? We, we need to pray that revival would sweep across our land so that we're not dealing with ungodly leaders anymore who are seeking to further ungodliness, who are calling good evil and evil good. We need to pray for revival in our workplaces so that we are no longer punished for even bringing the name of Jesus up with our coworkers. We need to pray for revival in our cities, in our states, in nations. And ultimately, we need to pray for revival in that final, full, eternal state that's going to come one day. You know that. Revival is going to come, and it's going to be an eternal revival one day. Maranatha, that's right, brother. Maranatha. The day of Christ's coming is going to be the day of the beginning of an eternal revival. 2 Thessalonians 1.10, it describes it as the day when Christ comes to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Right? That's the language of revival. That's revival. It's one that will, that's an eternal revival, one that will come suddenly upon the whole world at Christ's coming and will be sustained throughout all eternity. If you want to see that more fully unpacked, go to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Right. That's what the uh, Spirit is seeking, and that's what the Spirit-filled church is praying for as well. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. So, beloved, I believe it is our responsibility to seek true and lasting revival in our personal lives and in the church and throughout the whole world until the day when the final eternal revival comes, the new heaven and the new earth. I, just as a parenthesis here, I, I don't know how else to interpret Psalm 105 verse 4 than, than in this way, where Psalm 105 verse 4 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek his presence continually. I don't know how to interpret that verse other than in terms of we're seeking a, a, a greater spiritual awakening and a greater uh, a spiritual sense of the nearness and the glory of God. So, so I believe that the Spirit sets before us a pattern of seeking after true revival. So if that's the case, if God expects us to seek revival... How should we seek it? Can we seek it? Is it right to seek it? I think I've already, I've already kind of laid my cards out there. I think, it, I think it is right to seek after revival. I say it's absolutely necessary to seek after revival. What do we, how do we do that? Well, I think there are two things involved in seeking after revival, true revival. As we seek revival, the first thing we need to do is seek it through the faithful use of the common means of grace. How do we seek revival according to God's will? Well, we seek it through the faithful, or you could say the diligent use of the common means of grace. What are the common means of grace? What are some of them? Anybody? Prayer. Prayer. Time in the Word. Right? Reading, meditating on, memorizing, uh, reciting, declaring, proclaiming, right? All those, all those things relating to the Word of God. What are some other means of grace? Lord's table. Lord's table. Celebrating uh, uh, the, the, the glory of the gospel at the table of the Lord in fellowship with Him. What else? Worship. What? 
Worship. Preaching. Preaching. Singing. Singing. Baptism. 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 Fasting. What about walking in faith? Exercising faith. That's a common means of grace. The way that we seek after revival is by diligently walking with the Lord according to these means, these ordinary means of grace. I love what uh, Joel Beakey said about seeking revival. This is from, I believe it's volume three of his uh, Reformed Systematic Theology. It's like in the 300s, on page 300 or something like that. I'll get that to you some other time if you want it. But Joel Beakey said, if, if we truly long for a mighty work of the Spirit in the future, then we will be faithfully cultivating the Spirit's fruit in the present. If we truly long for the Spirit to do a great work in the future, then we will be faithful in the present at cultivating the Spirit's fruit. Right, so, so what are those fruits? Remember uh, Galatians 5, 16, walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Right? If we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, so walking according to the Spirit, walking in love, walking in joy, uh, walking in peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control, ordering our steps, the, 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 our day-to-day lives according to the fruits of the Spirit. That's how we seek after and prepare ourselves for revival. So the first thing we do is we give ourselves to a faithful and diligent use of the common means of grace. And then secondly, we seek revival through a faith-filled use of the common means of grace. So number one is a faithful use of the common means of grace. Number two is a faith-filled use of the common means of grace. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that. It's one thing to order your steps according to these means of grace and think that you're doing your duty. Reading the scriptures, I'm praying, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm partaking in the Lord's table, I'm a member of a local church, I've submitted myself to its leadership, I'm, I'm worshiping with the people of God in song, I'm, I'm, I've been baptized. Like it's one thing to walk through the means of grace, it's another thing to walk through them in full faith. Right, so, so where you're, you're believing God's promises that he makes to you, that if you will pursue him according to these means, he will let you find him. We pursue revival by a faith-filled use of the common means of grace by believing that, that God declares this to be the pathway of revival, And that as we draw near to God in this ordained path, He will draw near to us as a blessing. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? So this is God's promise to us, beloved. As we seek Him, God makes this promise to us. Isaiah 64, 5. The Lord says, I meet the one who rejoices in doing righteousness. You want God to meet you? You want God to come near to you and and to fellowship with you? Same teaching of John 14, 21, and 23. What are you to do? 
Well, you're to, per, you're, you're to have a delightful pursuit. You're to have a, a rejoicing heart in walking with God according to righteousness. Because the Lord meets the one who rejoices in doing righteousness and who remembers God in all of his ways. Or Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, the Lord declares to his old covenant people in an old covenant context, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you. Is there not a principle there that's repeated for us in James chapter 4, verse 8, by the way, that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us? James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 2 Chronicles 15.2, you guys know this is one of my favorite ones. The Lord, it says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. So God remains the one in sovereign control. We're not manipulating him. We're not, we're not living our lives in a way that all of a sudden he becomes happy with us and then decides to draw near. No, that's not, that's not what it means to seek the nearness of the Lord or to, to, to seek his face. What it means is to seek Him in faith, knowing that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to make me presentable to the Father. Jesus has satisfied the righteous demands of the law in my place so that I can come into the presence of God and God can draw near to me with there being no problem. Right? Uh, what is it? Isaiah 59. Uh, the Lord's arm is not so short that He cannot save, but your sins have made a separation between you and your God. What's the dividing wall? It's our sin. What has Jesus done? He's taken care of our sin. He's put it upon Himself. He's borne the wrath of God on the cross. He went to the grave, burying our sins in death and rising again victorious, triumphant over our sin and death and hell, ascending into heaven where He intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has truly conquered. He's truly been victorious for us. And we seek God in faith, believing all of those truths about Jesus, knowing that there is no longer any hindrance to us coming to our Heavenly Father. There's nothing to keep us from Him. And as we draw near to Him, God says, I promise you, I promise you, in the blood of my own Son, I promise you, I will draw near to you. This is where revival begins. And this is how we seek it. Believing God's promises enough to act upon those promises. Right? We, we can say all day long, amen, to uh, the thought that if I draw near to God, God will draw near to me. But do you believe in that promise enough to actually act on it? So like this afternoon, you're going to turn off the TV, for example. Right? And like you're, you're going to sanctify the Lord's day by trying to set your mind on Christ. Trying to have your heart stirred with a holy devotion and satisfaction in Him. Uh, you're, uh, tomorrow, when you wake up in the morning, you're, you're, you're not just going to uh, go to bed late tonight because you're up watching something too late and then wake up too late in the morning to, to give yourself to a faithful and holy pursuit of Christ. No, you're going you're to discipline your body. You're going to make it your slave so that it becomes a servant for your purposes, not you becoming a servant for its purposes. You discipline yourself. You give yourself to a disciplined, methodical pursuit of God, and you wait for Him to bless you. So in the morning, whenever you wake up, the first thing you do, maybe you can make some coffee. I'll give you some leniency there. I like coffee. Praise God for coffee. 
You get your coffee, you get your tea, whatever, right? You, you do your 50 push-ups to wake yourself up, whatever you do. And you go down in faith and you, and you get on your knees before the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm here before you with another day that you've given me. And I want to make the most of it. I want to I want to honor you with this day. Lord, you've given me life and breath and all things today that I might enjoy them and use them for your glory. Lord, give me grace to discern how to do that because I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that in the context of my family. I don't know how to do that in the context of of my marriage with my wife. Lord, I need you to help me understand how to walk in a manner that's pleasing to you. That's my ambition, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. My ambition is to be pleasing in your sight. Lord, give me grace to know how to do that. Give me grace to know how how to shepherd my children in such a way that their little hearts are stirred with a loving devotion to you as their heavenly Father as I interact with them as their earthly Father. Or give me grace to, to work as unto the Lord in my workplace. Not working for man. Not, not, not working for the sake of eye service or, or any kind of pretentious desire to please a man. Lord, help me work with all my might for your glory in this place. So that if I'm coding or if I'm working on websites or I'm writing a sermon or I'm washing windows or whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm doing everything for the glory of your name with a heart of love and holy devotion to you. Lord, help me do that. You start your day praying like that. And then you go to the Word and you look for strength. You look for encouragement. You look for application. You look for conviction. You look for anything that the Lord is awakening your heart and mind to. And then you apply that to your life. You drill it deep down into your mind and your heart so that you're ready to go face the day with God. We all start living like that. The Lord will draw near to us. The question is, how much do you really want him? Right? Maybe, maybe some in this room don't know him enough to want him. That's tragic. And you need to seek him. You need to draw near to him. You need to come to taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe some of you, it's been too long since the last time you tasted the goodness of the Lord. And you don't quite remember. You don't remember the flare, the flame of your heart. You can't can't recall even how to approach the Lord rightly. Beloved, you need to get on your knees and you need to ask the Lord to give you grace, to restore you, to revive you in His ways, and to turn your eyes away from looking at vain things. This is, this is the path towards revival. It's, it's, it's diligent use of the common means of grace and it's faith-filled use of the common means of grace. If we, if we do that in faith, believing that as we take a step towards the Lord with these common means of grace, the Lord will be taking a step towards us. If we pursue it that way, I believe the Lord will bring us into a state of revival. Let me end on this exhortation. I don't want to be those that just sit around and talk about revival. Do you? I, I don't want to be those that just sit around and talk about how glorious it would be if God brought revival. Honestly, I don't really even want to hear people talking about revival. 
not that I don't desire it, not that I don't love looking at history and looking at all the ways that God has, has accomplished revival works in the past. I, I love that. It's always encouraging. But so often we can get into this downward spiral of just talking about the things that we want to see rather than being those who are pursuing them. Right? We become, not, we become hearers of the word only and not doers of the word. And we know God's will is clear. He doesn't want us just to be hearers of the word. He wants us to be doers. He wants us to be bold like lions. He wants us to pursue Him in faith. He wants us to draw near to Him with a holy boldness that says, in the name of Jesus, Father, I believe You want me to come near to You and I'm coming. And then we actually do it. I don't want to be those that just talk about wanting revival. I want to be those who seek it. So, until we're all coming to the prayer meetings of, of this local church, whichever ones you can make, until we're all doing that, I don't want any of us to be talking about revival. Because it's in pretense. It's not genuine. And until... We're all showing godly earnestness in listening to the preaching of the Word of God and giving ourselves to the reading of the Word of God and, 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 and diligently and desperately seeking to apply the Word of God to our lives. Until we're all doing that as individuals, we should not be talking about wanting revival. Because the day of judgment will expose you and find you out. So until, until, we, until we are making our families outposts of worship unto Yahweh, where family worship is diligently taking place, until we're doing that, I, I, I don't really want to hear about how much we want revival. I don't want us just to talk about it. I want us to seek after it and to, to, to chase God down with genuine faith in holy desperation, to wrestle him like Jacob, right? Until the Lord blesses us, saying, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. Have you ever sought the Lord like that? In prayer, Lord, I'm not going to quit praying like this until you bless me. Until you come. We, we have a trail paved for us unto revival. It leads to glory. It's paved in the blood and the righteousness of Christ. It's been tested by countless number of saints who have come before us. That path of prayer and Bible study and family worship and corporate worship and practical daily obedience and, and uh, practicing the ordinances. That, that's the, the nitty-gritty, die-to-self stuff of revival. That's the pathway to true revival. And, and I fear that there are far too few of us in our day who are willing to walk down that path in order to have it. Revival for Oak Ridge Community Church is not dependent on Asbury. It's not dependent on whether Asbury was true or false. Revival is dependent on whether we truly believe God enough to take him at his word. 
and will trust his promises enough to act upon them. Right? That's where revival begins. So may the Lord bless us to that end and bless his word to our hearts for his glory. Father, that is our heart's desire. It's your glory that we desire and long for, uh, not our glory. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Lord, we pray as those in whose hearts you have planted that holy desire for your glory. We, we come before you praying that you would satisfy that longing and that you truly would glorify your name through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We come before you in his name, Lord. Amen. Uh, now for the benediction from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, our Lord Jesus Christ, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will by working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And may the Lord do that great work in you, and may you rejoice as he does it. Amen. Go in peace.